We need soft eyes to see the bigger picture. We need to invite God to open our eyes to what he is doing. So we might see the bigger picture and not miss what is really happening. Isaiah 43, verses 16 to 21, reading from the New International Version of the Bible. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, an army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. I am making a way in the wilderness and the streams in the wastelands. The wild animals honour me, the jackals and the owls, because I have provided water in the wilderness and streams in the wastelands to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may reclaim my praise. Thanks be to God. The reading commences. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, his grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities 
in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. The Gospel reading is from John, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was amongst those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Do you remember those pictures that were all the rage some years ago now? They look like random patterns, but if you let your eyes focus beyond the page, another image would emerge of something recognisable. Some people found these very hard to get, while others were able to see the hidden picture more easily. I came across a similar concept recently in a Christian book, where the writer encouraged the reader to look with soft eyes. If you're focused too hard on the precise detail of something, so he said, you'll miss the bigger picture. Don't have hard eyes that concentrate on one thing only. Or to use a pandemic illustration, when there'd been panic buying of toilet rolls, you might have gone to a supermarket fixated on whether they had any loo rolls and had largely not seen all the other things on the shelves that would have been good to buy. Well, Isaiah seems to be addressing a similar issue when he said in today's reading, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? It can be so easy to look and not see. Ask any cyclist or motorcyclist if they've had a smidzy moment. Smidzy being, sorry, mate, I didn't see you. 
somehow people can look right at a cyclist or a motorcyclist and not see them. I had such an instance on my push bike in Newton Abbott a while ago. I'm not small and I had a fluorescent yellow jacket on, but a driver pulled out in front of me, but fortunately stopped in time when I yelled at them. You can look and not see. Seeing is actually done in your brain, not your eyes. The eyes just send information which the brain interprets. And you can't look at everything in detail. So the, you take a series of snapshots and the brain fills in the gaps from experience. And if you're a cyclist in one of the gaps, you may be missed. So my top tip, speaking as an advanced driving trainer is move your head and keep scanning. Don't fixate on one thing. But we see the same thing going on in today's readings. Isaiah questioned the listeners. Don't you see the new thing going on? He began by reminding them of their history and how they escaped from Egypt through the Red Sea and how the Egyptian forces chasing them were drowned as the waters returned. Then it was the desert wanderings. But when Isaiah was writing in chapter 43, this was part of a message of restoration from exile in Babylon. Perhaps Isaiah was getting a bit exasperated because in chapter 35, he'd written about the desert blooming and return, people returning and the eyes of the blind being opened. And he seems to want to give people a shake. Have you still not got it? You can sometimes miss the bigger picture. And there was a bigger picture going on in the reading from John's Gospel. In fact, several. Mary's action in anointing Jesus's feet was a costly act of devotion in itself. But Jesus paints a bigger picture. This is about anointing for his burial. He knew the cross was before him and he was choosing to die in the place of fallen humanity to restore us to a place of intimacy with God a place lost with the fall in the Garden of Eden. Then there's Judas. He didn't seem to get the bigger picture. He was fixated on money, and not just in a prudent way of responsible stewardship, for he had his hand in the money bag as well. The chief priests might have thought that they were seeing the bigger picture, that Jesus was a threat to their position, which he was, for he had stern words for the religious authorities on many occasions, referring to them as a brood of vipers in Matthew 12, blind guides in Matthew 15, whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23. But were they really joining up all the dots? We read that they wanted to kill Lazarus, I suppose to destroy the evidence of being raised from the dead. But if Jesus had raised him once, could he not do it a second time if they succeeded in killing Lazarus? You could say they got part of the picture, but wouldn't take it through to its logical conclusion. So how good are we at taking things to their logical conclusion? If we look at Mary, we see extravagant worship. She didn't use a small sampler of perfume. This was a big bottle worth, we are told, about a year's wages in verse five. Well, currently that would be nearly 26,000 pounds. Imagine spending that on perfume. 
nor was Mary's gesture a private thing, for it was at a meal given in Jesus's honour with a number of guests, and not surprisingly, the fragrance filled the whole house. Is our worship and honouring of Jesus as extravagant and noticeable? Not that we should do it for show, but are we wholehearted or do we hold back? And what about Judas? He was one of the twelve and he presumably started well to have been selected by Jesus. But his focus was on money. It seemed the temptation of handling it either was or became too great. And he started siphoning off some for himself. And he didn't appreciate the fullness of what Mary was doing. Both of their actions reflected what was going on in their hearts. Devotion or self-interest. But for those who could see God was doing a new thing, Isaiah anticipated it. Mary played a part in preparation for the focal point of all history, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul, in writing to the Philippians, did not want them to miss out on the power of Jesus's resurrection. It's so easy to see an event, pigeonhole it and not see the bigger picture. Saul, as he originally was, could have thought that he'd arrived. He ticked all the boxes to be a Jewish somebody. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But then he continues, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. But having made this start, this huge change of heart and direction, he didn't rest on his laurels, satisfied with the progress made. Rather, he continued, even towards the end of his ministry, writing, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Here he echoes Isaiah 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. Paul is ready for the new thing. He wants to press on. He may not known, have known exactly what was ahead of him, though from verse 14 of chapter 1, we know he was a prisoner in chains. But even under arrest, he still wanted to press on. 
And this was his message to his readers, reassuring, reassuring them in chapter one, verse six, of his being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul could see beyond, beyond his current circumstances, which were not great for him. He could see something of the bigger picture. Being a Christian was not boring for him. Challenging, yes. Boring, no. Yet boring is often the perception that people have of church. A viewpoint even shared with some church members who find it boring on occasions. But God is doing a new thing. He is creative. He is the creator after all. But we often like to stay with what we've got and where we are. And the result is that we can get left behind. We need soft eyes to see the bigger picture. We need to invite God to open our eyes to what he is doing. So we might see the bigger picture and not miss what is really happening. And then we need to be prepared to respond appropriately. Judas didn't. The chief priest didn't. Mary did. Christianity, to be a Jesus follower, is a whole life activity and it's demanding. I was reading in some Bible reading notes this week a piece by Elaine Storkey on the passage in Matthew 24 where Jesus is teaching that the day and hour of the return of the Son of Man is unknown. And Elaine wrote, we should not brush off the urgency. The way Satan undermines effective, active faith is not telling us that there is no God or that there is no hell, but there is no hurry. The way Satan undermines effective, active faith is not telling us that there is no God or there is no hell, but that there is no hurry. And to that, I would also add that another of Satan's ruses is to try to convince people that all will go to heaven, conveniently, conveniently overlooking any notion of judgment. You hear people who've been bereaved in some horrific way say that so-and-so is now looking down on them. But I've not heard anyone interviewed say that they're sure of this because of the deceased's faith in Jesus. But if there is no right and wrong and no judgment, then what Putin has done in Ukraine is okay, but it's not. Events there highlight the truth that this is a moral universe. There is right and wrong. Most of the church in, in Britain and indeed in much of the West has been in decline for a century. When you put this alongside the way the church has increasingly mirrored worldly values and standards, it raises questions as to how far the church has drifted from gospel imperatives. The good news is that the church, being the body of Christ, will not die. Jesus has died once and will not die again. He will not let it. But that's not to say that some particular parts won't disappear for clearly many churches have declined or closed. We may prefer for things to stay as they were, rather than using our gifts to effect and direct changes. Things may well change anyway, but we may not then be part of it if we're not 
part of it. We also need to remain connected to the vine, as Jesus described in John chapter 15. The importance of this cannot be overemphasized. Jesus reminds us that it's the way to fruitfulness. We need constantly to be refilled with the Holy Spirit, that we may know his life in us. And we need to ask God to enable us to see what is really going on and use our gifts to join in with him. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Amen. Jesus, my Redeemer. 
content in this podcast is adapted from recorded Zoom services held by Teambridge Methodist Circuit Coastal Section. Full videos can be viewed on their YouTube channel. Music is taken from worship audio tracks, all rights reserved.